you'll see so many different parallels from the, the lamb's blood that was spread across the doorpost to even the life of Moses himself bringing salvation and deliverance to a people in bondage, just like me and you before Christ were in bondage to sin. And there was then called out of the desert a deliverer. God also sent Jesus to be a deliverance for us too. It's just, it's phenomenal. And so when I was reading over this, there were so many different ways and different sermons. I think I wrote probably three or four different sermons trying to figure out exactly what God wanted me to say this morning. And I, every time I'd write, start to go down a path, God would just bring me back to help people understand who I am through this story. So that's what this morning is about, is helping us just see a little clearer, maybe just a little bit. It's a story many of us have heard if you've been raised in church, but just a little bit, maybe a little bit clearer who God is and who he wants to be to you and who he's made you to be. So as we get into that this morning, let's look at the life of Moses for a second. If you haven't read you heard a little bit of a synopsis, but you also, let's look at it from a practical sense. Who was Moses? Well, he was a man who was born under secrecy. He was born into a slave people, people who were in slavery. And he didn't know it when he was born, but his whole family understood that he should have been dead. How many people in this room probably should be dead right now? Right? Well, that's Moses. So you can identify at least one part of his story, that this man was supposed to be dead. But if it wasn't for the hand of God and the bravery of a woman that says, I'm going to put my life on the line to protect this baby. How many people have somebody put their life on the line to protect you and now you're here today? This lady, Moses' mom, put her life on the line to hide this baby for several months until finally she said, I can't hide him anymore. I'm going to do anything and everything it takes to save this baby's life. So it was only the hand of God that this baby wasn't drowned in the Nile already. And he's only a couple months old. So even from that point, God's hand is on him, saving him. Let's keep on going. What, what other highlights do we have? How about he was raised by his own mom through providential means. If you haven't read the story, after he was delivered in the basket, her, the mom sent the sister to watch the basket wherever it went. Well, the Pharaoh's daughter, as the video said, found the baby and said, well, I can't take care of this baby. So the sister went, hey, I know a lady who can. So the Pharaoh's daughter handed Moses back to his sister, not knowing it was a sister, brought it back to the mom, and his mom cared and raised it. How crazy is that? We wouldn't believe it if it was in a movie. We'd say it's too, too unrealistic. But that's the story of God. What else? So we have already know he was saved, providentially taken care of. Then he was raised to manhood in the palace of one of the most powerful kingdoms in the world. So he had influence. He had authority. He was raised in a palace as a, you can, I don't even know how the relationship, we don't really know how that relationship was between Pharaoh and if it was a stepson or if it was an adopted son. We don't know that relationship, but we, what we know is he was raised in the house of Pharaoh. That alone, knowing you are being adopted or kin to Pharaoh, comes with it power, comes with it a level of distinction and prestige, you know? And so when he would walk around Egypt, people knew who he was. People looked up to him and go, man, he has got it made, right? I mean, he, he, what could this man have wanted? He had everything. He was in the family, 
in the house of one of the most powerful people in the world. Has anybody had that moment where it feels like, man, I've got it made? Or everybody looks at you and thinks you have it made, right? But then what happens? Your character all of a sudden comes out, right? And you're exposed for who you truly are. And the same thing happened to Moses. One day, when he was walking around, what happened? He saw a Hebrew man getting beaten by a slave master. And all of a sudden, Moses' true character comes out. And he lost everything. Has anybody ever had a time where you're necessarily your true character came out? You were revealed for who you truly were and you lost everything? You're starting to identify a little bit with the man, not just the story. This is, and that's one of the things I try to stay away from is just calling them Bible characters because they were people. They were men and women. These are people who really struggled, really went through things. And so this man lost everything. And I don't just mean a little bit. I mean he lost everything. He lost friends. He lost family. He had to run away to a foreign country, into the desert, into the middle of nowhere by himself just to save his own life because Pharaoh wanted him dead. He lost everything. Because he had a moment to where his character was truly revealed. So then he was driven into the desert. He finally got hooked up with these Midianites in the middle of the desert. And he became a shepherd. Has anybody been around sheep? Really, only three? Let me just give you a picture. They stink. And I don't mean they, oh, yeah, they, they're smelly animals. No, I mean they, they, they really, really stink, right? Have you ever worn like a really fuzzy sweater and you realize like everything sticks to it and it's like all inside? Yeah, that's, imagine that on a sheep and everything st- sticks to the skin. It's just nasty. They're nasty. So being a shepherd was not a very pleasant job. So this man went from the house and family of Pharaoh to a nasty, dirty, disgusting, lowly shepherd. That's the the life of Moses up until Exodus chapter 3. So when we think of Moses, sometimes we think of what? If I were to say the word Moses, what's the first thing that comes to your mind besides Charlton Heston? (laughs) Red Sea. I mean... Right? We, just, we think of the triumphal things. We think of the great and glorious things. We think of the ways that God used him to deliver the people out of captivity, right? He was the great deliverer of, evil, or of uh, Israel. He led the people out of captivity. He led them into the desert. He helped, God used him to part the Red Sea. God brought manna through. I mean, he, this, he did incredible things. But you have to understand, we're reading the entire story. The first 80 years of this man's life was not pretty. He was a murderer, he was a liar, he was timid, he was scared, he was a coward. Read the first three chapters, I'm telling you, all of this reveals who this man was up until he was 80 years old. And so many times we can glamorize it, you know? But if we truly get a picture of who these people are for a second, we can start to go, man, I, I can identify with that. And too many times we look, when we read the Bible, we look at the great men and women of faith's victories and forget where they came from in their failures. We want to try to compare ourselves. Man, I could never do what that. I could never be what Moses was. Look at how God used him. I could never part a Red Sea. I could never lead a people. But you can identify with the murderer. You can identify with the liar. You can identify the person whose character cost him the palace. Right? So, 
We want to pick up the story in Exodus chapter 3. And if you have your Bible, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. And so remember, this morning I really want to focus in on who God is through the life of Moses. And hopefully by now, at least one of these character traits you can identify with Moses because we are screw-ups. All of us are. We have sin in our life. We need a deliverer. And we all have those times where our character is revealed to not be so good as we thought it was. And it's cost us. Some people it's cost jobs. Some people it's cost marriages. Some people it's cost a lot more than that. So let's see who God is through this story. Exodus chapter 3, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. It says, Now Moses was pastoring the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. How he just happened to be by the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. I think it's interesting that he said, here I am, and then later God said, here I am. Verse 5, he said, he said this, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you standing is holy ground. He said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face and was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I, am, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them the power, or excuse me, and to bring them up from the land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Say that five times fast. Verse 9, now behold, the cry of the son of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which Egyptians are oppressed pressing them. Therefore, come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who I am or who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Anybody ever felt that, God? Who am I? Verse 12, and he said, certainly I will be with you and this shall be the sign to you that it it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, I love how he just starts playing the games, right? Well, what if this happens, God? Well, what if they say this? Well, what if they do this? And he's always trying to throw out all the what ifs. And I love how God answers them. Well, what if, right? And they may say to me, I, sorry. What is his name? And what shall I say to them? Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. 
God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to him, or has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. I pray this morning that you will reveal yourself to us through your word and that you will reveal in us, God, who you have designed and called us to be and bring us close in an intimate relationship with you. We love you. We thank you so much. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we see this, who is God in this passage? There's so many different things. I could preach for the next two hours on this, but I'm not going to, I promise. But there is some highlights I would love, hopefully, if you're taking notes, the first thing I want you to notice is this, is God is a holy God. What does verse 5 say? He says, Then he said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And I think so many times... When we get overwhelmed, we get, to, we, we get depressed, and even to the place of failure, it is because we have lost sight that the God who we serve, the God we claim has saved us, is a holy and just God. He is a righteous God, and we sometimes lose respect. We lose sight of who God is, the holiness of God. We try to play games and see how close we can get to the world instead of seeing how far we can get away from and how close we can get to God. Because we lose sight of how good God is, the holiness. I mean, think about it. He literally said, Moses, the dirt you're standing on is too good for me. The dirt underneath your shoes is so holy, you don't even deserve the right to wear your shoes. I mean, how, when's the last time when we sat down at our table to spend time with God in the morning, the holiness of God hit us so strong that we dropped to our knees, removed our shoes, and said, God, you are a holy God. Who am I to come before you? And I think too many times when we let anxiety and depression overrule our life, it's because we have lost sight of the holiness of God. He is a holy God. He is set apart. There is none like Him. There is no one compared to Him. There is no way we can even understand and grasp the full nature of who He is. And I believe sometimes when we begin to feel overwhelmed, it is because we have lost sight that God is a holy God. And sometimes we need to just remove ourselves from the world, get alone with God, maybe even take our shoes off and go, God, you're a holy God. Remind me who you are. See, we have to remember, we only have a right to come before God through Jesus. We're not worthy. We're all screwed up. We're all messed up. There's not this, you know, chain of command that, well, as soon as I get to this level, I'm good to come before God. We are all screwed up. We're all messed up. We are all sinners at heart. It is only through the shed blood of Christ that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Hebrews chapter 4 talks about it. It's only through Christ that we have a right to come before God. Why? Because He's a holy God and we're not. We don't have a right to go to, to, go to God and start claiming what He should and shouldn't do. And I'm telling you, if you have allowed depression, anxiety, and different things to get in your head, and this is speaking from somebody who has recently gone through these things, I believe it's because we have lost sight of the holiness of God. When we read the story of deliverance in Israel, do we see a holy God going, man, 
Look at the power. Look at the awe. When we read His Word, do we see, man, this is a holy God speaking to me. I don't know. So that's the first thing that we see in this story of Moses is that God is a holy God. The second thing is this, is God hears and cares for His people. Has anybody had a dark time where you just feel like you're praying and God just doesn't hear? Well, I'm pretty sure Israel had a few of those over 436 years. Years and decades and hundreds of years of slavery, and these people are crying out to God. And what does God say in verse 7? He said, The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. Do you understand there's three different ways God says, I see them? He said, I see them, I hear them, and I am aware of what's going on. So not only did God see what's going on, he heard their cry, and he was fully aware of what's going on. Do you think that's God's one-time thing? Do you think God just went, well, that was the people of Israel? No. God sees where you're at. He hears your cry, and he is fully aware of what is going on at all times. All the time. Psalm 139.16 says, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book all written the days that were ordained for me, when yet as, or excuse me, when as yet there were none of them written. None. Before one of them came to be, all of my days were already ordained. And I'm telling you, just recently, when I have dealt with anxiety and pain and just craziness, for those who don't know, recently I've been going, or I went through chest pains and anxiety attacks and panic attacks, waking up in the middle of the night, freaked out. And I'm telling you, this passage is what I have surrendered myself to. Because God and God alone ordains the days in which I am to live. Every one of them. Every one. From the day I was born, October 5th, till 1987, until the day I die in 21,028. <laughs> or whatever day before then God chooses to take me home. Every one of those days He already ordained. They're all written down. When you write in ink, you can't remove the ink from the page. They're written. They're done. It's over. That's what your days are already in God's book. He knows every single one of them before one of them came into be. Psalm 66, 17 through 20. says, I cried to him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regarded the wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But, but, certainly God has heard. He has given heed to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be to God who has not turned away my prayer nor His loving kindness from me. God does not turn away your prayer. He not only hears it, but in the middle of it, He still loves you in His timing. And I'm telling you, the best thing the enemy can do is make you feel like God doesn't care. He's going to bring up everything that you failed at, every mistake you've made, and say, look who you were. There's no way God could love you in the middle of that. And over and over in His Word, He said, not only do I love you, but I hear you, I hear your voice, I see what's going on, and I am fully aware of what you're going through. At all times. Not some of the times. Every day has been ordained in His Word. 
God knows where you're at. And I mean, think about this. If we could get this, I mean, if we could believe it, if we could just, in, just implant this deep into our spirit that God knows, he hears, he is fully aware, and he hears our cries and he sees where we're at, would we truly live in the stress and anxiety that we currently live in? Would we deal with the depression and the overwhelming fear if we truly understood this? And I think personally, that's one of the reasons that fear and anxiety is running rampant in the church, not just in the world, but in the church, is because we have lost sight of who God is. Because when we understand who God is, we can't live the same way. Or we choose to reject it. It's fine if you choose to reject it. But if you choose to serve Him, if you choose to surrender, if you choose fully to surrender control of your life, results in your life to Him. Understanding that every day, every day has been ordained. That He hears your cries, He hears your prayers, and He sees what's going on. Wouldn't that bring peace? Wouldn't that bring joy? Wouldn't that bring fulfillment whether you're cleaning toilets or living in a mansion? Does that make sense? God hears and cares for you. That's who God is. Too many times we, when we say those passages, we go, okay, we make it about us. And he wrote it about us, but think about it for a second. The God who I read about creating the world in Genesis is the same God that just said, hey, I see you, I hear you, and I'm fully aware of what's going on in your life. What does that do? It brings us back to the holiness of God. It should drop us to our knees and go, God, I'm sorry for the fear and the anxiety that I have allowed to rule my life. And I'm serious, guys. This clear understanding and picture we can get of God, the less the things of this world matter to us. Because we understand we were not created just for this world. He has a plan. All right, so the third thing we see in this passage, in verse 4, God speaks to humans and he desires dialogue with us. He speaks to us. Uh, excuse me, uh, Exodus 3, 4, what does it say? He said, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to who? Him. God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, he called him by name. He didn't say, hey, you, come here. He called Moses by name, just like he does you and me. God speaks to you when you turn aside to see him. You understand? Like Moses wasn't walking by. And as he's tending his flock, God speaks to him. Hey, Moses, Moses, come here. He didn't. He saw something's out of place, and i got to figure out what's going on here. So he turned aside from his day-to-day goals, and he turned aside. And when he turned aside, God said, He has allowed me now to speak to him. And he's listening. How many times in American culture do we get so busy with our day-to-day, with our to-do list and everything going on, we don't even give God the opportunity to speak? What if Moses would have kept going and said, I don't need to worry about the burning bush right now. I've got to get to work. I'm going to be late in five minutes. 
I've got to get to work. I've got to get the 401k ready. I've got to make the house payment. I've got to take care of the kids. I've got to do this and I've got to do that. If Moses were so wrapped up in his day-to-day activities of life, of watching those sheep, he never would have investigated and he never would have heard the voice of God. And where would the people of Israel be? You don't know who is waiting for you to hear the voice of God for you to be the one to lead them out of deliverance. Who is God speaking to in Genesis? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Every passage in every book in the Bible at some point, besides I think one, the voice of God, when he speaks, who does he speak to? Men and women, his creation. When God speaks, he speaks to us. Do you understand, outside of Jesus Christ himself, every human being in all of creation is a screw-up, is a mess-up with a nature of sin inside. Do you understand that? So therefore, whether he was talking to Moses or Joshua or Elijah or you, he was still talking to a screwed-up, messed-up person. So your past doesn't disqualify you. Your life does when you allow life to continue going on and not turning aside to hear the voice of God. When we get so wrapped up. We have the Creator God Himself wanting to speak to you each and every day. Are we so busy getting our kids ready for school, working out at the gym, going to church, We're so busy in our going that we don't even want to take a brief moment to turn aside to hear the voice of your Creator speak to us. And how many people are in bondage today because we haven't taken the time to listen to the voice of God tell us to go? That was nowhere in my notes. 2 Timothy 3.16 has been our battle cry on Wednesday nights in our Scripture class. It says, All Scripture is inspired by God, or God's breathed, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. All Scripture is the Word of God. Every word, whether you like it, whether you don't, whether you agree, whether you doesn't agree, doesn't matter what your life looks like, doesn't matter your opinion, every Scripture is the voice of God speaking to His creation. John 10, 28, or 27 and 28 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hands. The shepherd speaks to his sheep, and the sheep know his voice. You know, I told, I, I've used the illustration a lot, and I don't mind using it again. Is, has anybody ever been uh, in the fellowship hall on a Wednesday night when it's packed and there's a lot of people, a lot of kids running around on a Wednesday night? I mean, it's just super loud. Has anybody ever, I mean, experienced that? Maybe you're in a crowded restaurant where it's just super busy and super packed in. I, I hate those restaurants. My wife and I had a conversation. We had a date night last night, and uh, she loves Olive Garden. I hate Olive Garden, not just because of the food. Like, you're packed in like sardines in that restaurant. I mean, you're like packed in. So praise God, there was like a half an hour wait. We said, we're not waiting, so let's go to Cracker Barrel instead. 
So we went to Cracker Barrel. And I love Cracker Barrel. You know why? Man, you got room in there. I mean, you could probably drive a bus in between some of those tables sometimes. I love eating there for that reason. You're not cramped. It's loud, but you're not cramped. Anyways, so if you've been, ever been in one of those little restaurants that's just super cramped, super loud, I mean, you have to lean in to hear a conversation back and forth. That's sometimes how a Wednesday night is here. And I gave the illustration. Imagine I put a mom on one corner by the back corner, and then in the kitchen I put your kid. Even in the midst of loud craziness, if your kid calls your name, even if you can barely understand it, would you identify that voice and know that voice even above the crowd? Moms, dads, would you, you agree, right? Now, if I put a complete stranger, picked a hilly bulb off the uh, street, put him in the kitchen, still put you at the back door, even if they would say your name, would you recognize the voice? Would you know it? Of course you wouldn't. Why? Because you don't know them, right? And how many times do we try to hear the voice of God, but we don't know Him? We open the Word of God, and what do we say? God, speak to me through your Word. But we don't know the God who wrote it. And I'm telling you, as you read the story, understand, your goal here is not just to get the best nugget to make your life better this week. It's to know the God who created you. And to know Him intimately. Because God speaks to His people. He wants to speak to you. He wants relationship with you. He wants dialogue with you. How do I know that? Because I've read the book cover to cover and every chapter God was speaking to somebody. He wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to me. But are we going to turn aside and allow Him to speak? Are we going to get to the place where the flow of our life is not so important that we can't turn aside to listen to the God of the universe speak to us. Fourth thing we see in this story is that God uses broken people. Read the first two chapters of Exodus. We, we read it this week. We know the story. Moses was a murderer. He was timid. He was scared. And if you read, excuse me, if you read the entire chapter of chapter 3 and 4, the entire burning bush... I don't know, half a dozen, maybe a dozen times, Moses throws out excuses why he shouldn't, why he's not worthy. I mean, literally. Finally, God said, all right, enough with your excuses. How about I send your brother out of Egypt? And how random is this? So Moses has run away. It's been who knows how many years. We don't really know the time period, 40, 50, 60. We, we, we don't know that time period. But we know it's many years because he's gotten married and he's had kids out in the desert. And now he's a shepherd. So this shepherd who's run away from Egypt, all of his family is still in slavery in Egypt. Burning bush is stopping. God is talking. And all of a sudden, the very day that he turned aside, see this burning bush, somehow his brother got out of slavery, crossed the entire desert, and just happened to find this crazy small group of people, Midianites, in the middle of the desert. Just happened to. The same day God spoke. Well, what happened? Aaron ended up being the voice of God, Moses' brother, right? I want you to understand something. God is at work before God speaks to you. How long does it take to get from Egypt to where the Midianites were? I'm pretty sure it's not a couple hours walking, right? So you have to understand, Moses is at the burning bush, and what does God say? He says, I'm bringing Aaron this very day to you, and he will be the voice. 
He will be your voice. He'll be the prophet. I'm going to use you to be God, and I'm going to use Aaron to be your prophet to the people of Pharaoh. He's coming to you this very day. So before Moses turned aside, before Moses saw the burning bush, before God called to Moses in the burning bush, before any of that happened, Aaron was already on his way to meet Moses and be who he needed to be for Moses before God ever even called Moses. You understand that? So God was literally working to prepare Moses, bringing people into Moses' path before he even called. And God is getting ready to call people to works, to things in their life, and God is already working behind the scenes to set up people and circumstances and situations and jobs and different things to align you to walk it out. But if Aaron would have come and Moses wouldn't have turned aside to listen to God... You understand how important that is? So God uses broken people. He used David, right? David was a murderer. He was an adulterer. He was uh, somebody who was full of lust. We'll get into this on Wednesday night, which I'm excited about. He was in situations and circumstances he should never have been in, and God used him. Paul, this fancy, most people think he was like a lawyer with all of his training, wanted every single Christian on the planet to be dead and was working his tail off to make sure they were. And God turned around and used him to write most of the New Testament. God uses broken people. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your situation. This is who God is. Get it off you for a second. Don't just think, well, yeah, God can use me. because Think about who God is. The holiness of God, we understand He uses broken people. How, how, it's like, why would God do that? For His glory. This is His story, not ours. And all through His story, He chooses to graft us in, according to Romans chapter 11. He chooses to use broken people and graft us back into his tree, back into the life that he gives for his glory and his excellence. Understand, our life is not about us. Because if our life was about us, he would still, we would still be broken, we would still be sin, we would still be living in the darkness that our sin brings. But for his glory and due to his love and due to his grace and due to his mercy, he wants to bring us back in and graft us back in to his life. That's who he is. It has nothing to do with us. But even in the middle of our brokenness, you need to know that God, who, who God is, is he looks at us in our brokenness and said, even in your brokenness and sin, I want to use you. Because that's who God is. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 through 10 says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth, says, For this reason... To keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. What does Paul react to that? I'm telling you, if you like to write in your Bible, I would highlight, I would circle, I would star this. Because too many times we forget this. We think we need to be strong. We think we need to be the one in charge. We need to be the one charging out, making things happen. 
because that's what our culture tells us to do. We need to make things happen. But what does Paul say? He said, More, most gladly, therefore, I, rather, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well contented with my weakness, with insults, with distress, with persecutions, with difficulty, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Talk about being counterculture, man. That is not what our culture tells us to be, but that's what the Word of God says. Fifth thing that he says. He said, God saves His people in His timing and in His ways. His timing and His ways. Now see, we may look at this and and look at our problems and our situation and our circumstances. I want you to just think for a second. It's not just about saving us from the circumstances. It's saving us from who sin has made us. Because see, God may save you from a bad circumstance, but there will be another bad circumstance. You don't want God to save you from the bad circumstance. You want God to save you from who you are in that bad circumstance. Because bad circumstances are going to happen. Sin is in the world, and until Christ comes back and eliminates sin in the world, bad circumstances are going to happen. It's not about getting out of bad circumstances. It is about allowing God to put a new heart inside of us and becoming the person He's designed us to be in the bad circumstance. So when I say God saves His people in His timing and His ways, it's not about the circumstance, it's about who we are. God puts things in place in a people in alignment in such a way that when He softens our hearts and He calls us by name, and we, at that moment, we have a choice to fully surrender to Him, fully surrender to His ways. And in that moment, that's when God saves us, us, who we are. 1 Timothy chapter 2 says, This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself up as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. God desires to see his people saved. If you walk away with anything, understand this. God is not picky and choosy when it comes to salvation. Too many times we can get wrapped up in the predestination and thinking that God has ordained this person and that person, and that's fine. But according to this, God desires all men and women to be saved. God hasn't given up on you because you screw up. God hasn't given up on you and say, well, your three three strikes are done. You're over. Go suffer the consequences of your actions. Be gone. That's not the God we serve. God, God is sitting there going, I want to save you today, tomorrow, for all of eternity. I gave Christ not to save you in a moment, but to save you for all of eternity. He wants to save you. He wants to bring salvation. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Not a requirement. It's not like God said, well, I have to save him because I said that. No, he wants to. It's a gift. He says, I want to give you this. But a gift, what what does Pastor Mark say? A gift has to be received and opened, right? That's our part. But we have to understand, God, who He is, the enemy will try to tell you, 
over and over again, you're too far gone. You've screwed up one too many times. Your failures have finally caught up to you. Your character is destroyed. Your integrity is shot. You are too far gone. And God says, no, you are never too far gone. I want to save all men. I want to see no one lost, but all come to repentance in Christ. The God I serve, all men. He wants all men and women to be saved. That's who God is. So don't let the enemy deceive you. 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 10. Micah, you can come on, man. 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 10 says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. This is Paul writing again in his last letter. It says, But join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. So he not only saved us, but he called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity but now has been revealed to the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. He abolished death. Not he dealt with it, oh, he just put it aside. No, he abolished it. He destroyed it. He owns it for all of eternity. That is the God we serve. It's the God who loves you, and it's the God who wants to save you. The final thing is this. He says God's, God plans for his people. He desires our good. Verse 8 of this passage, I love. It says, So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And that is such a beautiful picture of who God is. He sees you. He hears you. He's fully aware. He came to save so that one day He can spend all of eternity with you. He called the Israelites to the land of Canaan. But as I said, when you read this, there's so many parallels to who Jesus came to be. Because Jesus didn't just come to deliver you into a land flowing with milk and honey, but He came to deliver you from a life of sin and death to an eternal life with Him forever and ever. That's who God is. And He has a plan for your life. He was at work for 435 years. Whether it was bringing Abraham, bringing Aaron, bringing Moses, He was working all the time. He never stops working. And He's working in your life whether you see Him or not. And He's given us passages in the Bible to remind us of that. Romans 8.28 says what? For I know all things work together for good for those who love God who are called according to His purposes. If it isn't good, God isn't done. Plain and simple. If it isn't good, God isn't done. Philippians 1.6 says what? This is one of my life verses. When God saved my life when I tried to commit suicide when I was 13 years old, this is the passage He showed me. And I've tried to remind myself of this on a regular basis. He who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The day of Jesus Christ is the day you see Him face to face. And until that day comes, He's not done with you. He's working. He's planning. 
He sees you. He hears. He cares. And the Holy God wants to save. This is who God is. This is the God we serve. This is the God who loves us. And I pray as we continue to dig into the Word of God that this is the God we will begin to see. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I worship You and I praise You, Lord God. God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the reminders that You give us of Your character, Your love, Your grace, Your mercy, Your holiness, Your righteousness, Your justice. God, You reveal Yourself in Your Word and I thank You that in the midst of our darkest days, in the midst of the nastiest of our sin, in the midst of our deepest and darkest failures, God, in that moment, You still love us. You see us. You hear our cry. And You came to save us. You came to give us an eternal salvation with You. I thank You for Your Word, God. May we live a life in such a way that we show the people in Calera, in Alabaster, in Montevallo, God, all across our world, may we show who God is. May we turn aside from the busyness of our life, of our everyday busyness. God, may we turn aside and hear the voice of God speaking to us. Because somebody's salvation and eternal security may rest on the fact that we listen, we hear, and we obey. Challenge our hearts and our minds to live like you and to understand your word, and to understand your character through your voice. We love you, Lord God. Be worshipped, be magnified, be glorified, Lord God, in our life, in our worship, in our work. We love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love, your undying, your unending love. That is greater than anything we could express. Pray these things in faith in the name of Jesus.